Hey guys, and welcome to our fifth uh, installment of our Fairpoint Group's podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be exploring financing options for the red hot industrial real estate market. My name is Adir Levitas, uh, founder and CEO of Fairpoint. I'm going to be hosting an amazing friend and a great uh, leader in the financing world, Yair Tilson. Yair Tilson is the CEO and managing director of K Finance, a capital advisory firm that specializes in structured finance for US based commercial real estate. Yair is also serving as the director of origination for a private debt lending platform, Griffin Real Estate Capital Partners. Yair has participated in over $1.5 billion of commercial real estate financing and investments, including Sinner, Mezzanine, and Preferred LP Equity, across a slew of assets, including multifamily, industrial, office, healthcare, retail, hotels, single families, and more. Yair, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been listening to the other uh, previous installments and uh, love what you guys are doing. You know, I love what you're doing in general. So I'm, I'm so happy to uh, have the opportunity to chat a little bit about our favorite topic, commercial real estate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I think that uh, we did start this uh, series of podcasts because we enjoy and are passionate um, about what we're doing. And there's so much going on in industrial now. It's just, you never know when it's going to cool down. But with industrial being backed by e-commerce trends, the landscape is just constantly uh, changing in terms of uh, a good way of saying that in terms of fundamentals. So, you know, I was thinking maybe just so our listener can get to know a little bit more about your background, maybe just take a minute and tell us, uh, you know, what were you up to since you, you formed your new company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, th- thanks for having us on. You know, here at K, we're, we're super excited about what we've been doing over the last decade or so. You know, we've been fortunate to work with fantastic clients who have gone through tremendous growth over the last, you know, five plus years, including, you know, companies like yourself and PowerPoint and, and, and many, many others. Our particular niche is, is being able to really understand the fundamentals of any given real estate company, regardless of size, and be able to understand their needs. And from there, kind of work backwards, if you will, in order to find the right financing strategies um, and or equity solutions that will best combat and best go alongside with those investment strategies of our, you know, our, of our said client. You know, it's funny in this particular situation, when it comes to industrial real estate, we, we are able to really show our worth more, I think, than even many other asset classes because for so many years, it's been, <laughs> if I should say, asset class that has now turned into a very much um, desired asset class. And with that, the sophistication of financial instruments that have sort of uh, evolved over the last really short period, or as far as you know, you you know, re- commercial real estate goes and timelines, has been a big advantage for our firm to really be able to understand those products and then in, in turn deliver those to our clients. Uh, so it's it, it's a very dynamic space that we love to be in, being industrial real estate, and something we look forward to having, uh, you know, um, kind of growth year over year in. For the next foreseeable future. Amazing, yeah. There's, there's. I think that uh, when you and I talked, when COVID hit, we were thinking, oh, this is the end of the world. Nobody's gonna be doing any originations. And I think that we've seen a shift in the market. Certainly, uh, retail, uh, hotel, and some other asset classes were hit and are still struggling to come back. But other asset classes like industrial and um, data centers and probably on medical office and stuff like that, have really uh, taken the shift in terms of uh, acceleration of the growth. And so things are changing. No, no, I'll tell you what's so interesting what you're saying is, and and I think we we were analyzing, uh, if it's not obvious to the listeners or to whoever has been uh, reading the news, et cetera, over the last 12 plus months, but the, the asset classes 
that essentially have fared best during uh, the COVID and now, if you call it post-COVID, pre-COVID, you know, <laughs> don't know what we call these. Uh, only time will tell the the, the timeline of things. But but it, uh, from from pre-COVID to we are now, you know, asset classes that fared best were were multi um, and industrial. Um, and and it's funny um, when it comes to those things. By nature, those asset classes are extremely localized type asset classes, right? You can't compare a multi-deal that's sitting in, say, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, an, uh, in, in uptown New York to a to a T-shirt market in Conyers, Georgia. Um, it's really, they're, they're all multifamily. They have a, a similar concept to it, right? You have a rent, you have expenses, et cetera, but, but they're really very different business strategies, similar to industrial. And, and those, and with that, I think that's actually when it came to COVID, especially when it came to financing specifically, I found that that was its biggest advantage because normally the financial products that best are suited for industrial have, or best desired, if you will, are not really the CMBS products of the world, the one, if you will, the national type lenders. Um, it's very much the local banks, um, the local lenders, the regional lenders who really understand those asset classes that are giving ultimately the best offers and ultimately the borrowers who want those types of lending solutions. So actually, and those were the ones who had the best read on the ground um, during the pandemic and, and, and since. And I found that that was what really helped fuel the understanding by the lenders that even in the in the dead the, the dead hours of the pandemic where things were literally shut down, I had borrowers, um, I'm sure dear, you can speak to your own experiences where, where really they were not slowed down in any way because the banks understood their local markets, the lenders understood what was really going on on the ground, didn't get hyped by the uh, you know the, the the news of the day, and were able to lend aggressively, if you will, um, you know during this period. So I, I actually found that local nature, the industrial asset class, is actually its biggest advantage through the pandemic, especially when it comes to financing. I think that uh, one of the main differences between the Great Recession and uh, the COVID event is that. Uh, liquidity did not come to a complete stop in COVID. And as you said, banks were lending. They were not taking so much new customers, but they were lending and GPs were making deals. Trust remained in the system as opposed to the great financial crisis where you know we've seen uh, liquidity come to a complete stop and trust is, is a rare commodity. So transactions are not happening. And, and that's probably, yeah, that was a big, a big change. So uh, COVID was good to many. Overall, it was, you know, probably it, it was a bad thing to the world, obviously. But um, uh, uh, in terms of real estate, some asset classes uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, were, were in the rise. So, you know, when thinking about industrial yeah. uh, real estate for, you know, for uh, GPs or, or investors that are thinking to get into it or to change and uh, refine the way they're financing things, what are the financing options or instruments that um, you're seeing out there? I mean, what are the options? Who's lending money and what are the main differences? Like who's looking to take CMBS versus who's looking to take a community, a local bank loan? Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I'll, and with that, with fear and boring all your listeners into a, into a terrible bore of, over all the specifics of the product types, I will, I'll give a really quick overview. And I think it's more important than ever the segue, especially after... Uh, what you were just saying, Adir, in, in response to you know this 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 me this mega disruption, which all of us experience and is really once a lifetime, and certainly kind of the caliber of an 08, um, just in a different way. And that's why you know one of the reasons why we're so busy ever since has just been that the ability to access the right financial tool 
for your investment in in periods where there's massive disruption, like is the you know COVID nineteen um, has become more and more crucial for real estate companies than when when times are very kind of you know flowy and where we were let's say the previous decade um, of of real estate uh, investing. So um, I think it's more apropos than ever to really for borrowers and your listeners and and sponsors in general. Um, specifically speaking today to the industrial space to really understand kind of the available options out there. Um, and to speak to that a little bit, I always like to uh, frame things in categories, compartmentalize um, the conversation, because I find that most of the time people get lost in sort of the headline. And, and when it comes to financing instruments, um, as we all know, it's not something that you look at the headlines. If anything, you always look at the fine print, right? <laughs> we've all mm-hmm. we've all been there. So so just to give kind of a bird's eye, bit, you know, industrial specifically also comes into two very specific categories. You have your your trophy kind of stabilized institutional type investments where you're going to have that, you know, Amazon, Nike, whatever that may be, UPS, whatever that may be, major tenant using that lease as a as almost like a bond to the in, in real estate investor, and with that. Uh, you know, that the, in nature, it's a long-term fixed rate lease that has bumps. And with that, usually looking for the right fixed rate, long-term, best possible in-class rate amortization interest only that you can get for something like that. That caliber and sort of high quality and stabilized, um, you know, we're seeing unbelievably attractive type pricing, everything ranging from life insurance companies to private institutionals to banks uh, to then, of course, the CMBS market all want a bite of those types of deals. Whether or not which direction a borrower may go is going to be completely related to their individual strategy. So, you know, without giving it uh, or going too into it, you know, CMBS has its pros and cons. There is still no real product that can offer such a aggressive rate versus IO versus fixed rate nature at a 30 M or above like CMBS can. However, people have the issues with the reserves requirements, the nature of the servicing requirements, and things like that, that may uh, you know move them in a different direction. But for the right CMBS execution, you can be seeing rates still in the mid to high twos for the right high-profile real estate stable, you know, uh, industrial stabilized high-profile asset. Um, and and similarly in the life in, life insurance space and large commercial banks who really want that type of deal, they're going to compete at similar rates, maybe a little bit of a different structure. But again, it's going to be a structure that is most suitable for that in individual client, sponsor, investor's um, strategy um, and any given deal. Then we have, you know, just kind of moving down the, the ladder. As you look at more, let's say, smalls, which we call them, let's say, deals ranging between one and $10 million, which by nature don't necessarily have these long, um, high profile credited leases with, you know, accredited tenants. Um, there too, where we're seeing those primarily get done with primarily kind of banks, I would say regional, local. Those are generally structured as kind of up to five-year terms with another five-year extension option to them, sometimes a 10 years with a five-year variable fixed rate um, change. And there you're seeing rates also still in, in for the right assets in kind of that low three to high three range and then up depending on kind of where the status is. These are all in coupons that I'm referring to on the call. The challenge and regionals, frankly, is that the, the, their flexibility to underwrite borrowers is a much different than, let's say, uh, the more uh, national commercial lenders. So what I mean by that is, um, and this is where a lot of, dear, and I'm, I hope for some listeners this will be advantageous, a huge misconception when it comes to lending is and borrowing. You know, I saw this guy get that, 
you know, can I get something similar? And every deal is not to be the cliche, but every deal is different and every borrower is different. And depending on that, you can get very different uh, loan products from the same lender. So, and, and one of the things when it comes to local regionals, until you build that relationship with them, you're not going to see all that much flexibility. And it's always that delicate dance um, between, you know, really being able to get the best possible rates, terms, flexibility, non-recourse that you can from a lot of these lenders that will really improve your investments, you know, long term, um, as opposed to getting that relationship started. And sometimes, and you know, I'm sure you can speak to this over the years, but sometimes you have to make what seems to be sacrifices, whether that's putting up an extra 100K or 200 deposit with the bank that you may have not have wanted to do, or whether it's uh, opening up certain operating accounts, or whether it's just taking a little bit of a higher rate to start the relationship, or whatever that may be. There's a few things that some of these have to make sacrifices for, especially in that kind of deal range and that typical borrower profile in order to get those relationships started, to get your feet wet in the market. And, and then for long-term value, you would see very quickly that tone of that bank become much more flexible. And for future deals, it could be very advantageous. We always encourage borrowers to, to look at the big picture um, so they can utilize products like this long-term and not just look at one-off transactions because the reality is you're never going to get the best deal if you're always going to shop, uh, you know, kind of one by one. You got to build relationships in this business. And I think that is also paramount in, in talking about the disruption and how to properly recover from it and how people have is sticking to relationships and growing out long-term fruitful relationships. So, so again, you know, you have those types of products as well. And then I would say the last tier, and again, in fear of boring everyone here, uh, you know, where, where people and what space is, uh, is starting to expand as it does whenever there is just an increased pent up uh, interest in a particular asset class, like you saw with multifamily over the last couple of years, and now in industrial is a huge new entry of new buyers. And with new buyers, often where they try to uh, find themselves is on the value add of industrial because it has the it has the lowest barrier of entry because simply all value add does. And when these guys are trying to step into the market, or, or even guys who have been seasoned in the market looking for new for new better yields that they're not finding in the typical stabilized products necessarily, where we're seeing those new loan products is in the debt fund space. And mm -hmm. the debt fund space, I would say, was you know low to medium active, certainly pre-COVID and over the last few years when it came to industrial specifically. Frankly, it's just because the banks and, and other of their competition understood those deals better. And the borrowers for that are not necessarily chasing high LTVs and other variables like that that make a borrower want to go, let's say, bridge financing versus um, going to their local bank or regional bank to get that financing. So we're seeing a new emergence of the debt fund space trying to be very active. I can tell you that you know, we work with hundreds of these types of lenders all across the country, and they are weekly banging in my door asking me if I have this product for them. That being said, we're still seeing somewhat of a resistance from the more seasoned buyers of industrial to go debt fund. And I think that's primarily because the cost of these debt funds are still much higher than you're going to get at market if you can find the right banking partner. I think the seasonal borrowers of, of industrial real estate do not get as incentivized by the 75% LTV. Conventionally, they're more patient, um, more liquid kind of lower LTV borrowers. So again, not such an incentive. That being said, we are seeing a very quick emergence of a lot of groups kind of, you know, kind of flooding the market, trying to get their share, their piece of the industrial pie. And with that, we're seeing them willing to take kind of different types of debt fund products to scale LTV, to be able to be more flexible 
and ultimately acquire more of this industrial. So again, I, you know, in sum, I think there is two major categories, the stabilized and the, you know, value add categories of, of real estate, just like in any asset class, but in specifically industrial and primarily you're seeing things from kind of the CNBS Life & Co to the banks down to the private debt funds, all wanting to get in on the action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, you know, a quick brief of uh, of the product. I think that um, every borrower needs to first understand what is its uh, most important thing that he wants to achieve uh, with his, um, you know, with his loan uh, or finance solution. Uh, if it's uh, speed, then perhaps um, a debt fund could be something to explore. If it's leverage, then probably debt fund and CMBS. If it's fixed rate, uh, long term lower leverage, low rent, uh, low rate, then probably LifeCo could be also a great option. And community banks are actually a good option. They're a great option if you got a small deal, you got to move fast. I guess rate's going to be mediocre in terms of, uh, you know, LifeCo's on the, on the lower rate or lower end and debt fund on the higher end. Uh, but execution capability is very quick. And so it's very relationship driven. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that, um, yeah, one of the things that you, you know, spearheaded for us a few, some time ago and, and we're doing it again now is the, uh, is the credit facility. And a credit facility is basically like taking your own new product. It's not a, it's not a shelf product. It's basically saying, well, we have this and that that we need to purchase and we have a, an ongoing need to purchase small assets over a long period of time. And we don't want to find a, a financing solution every time. So we need this probably financing umbrella or what we call a credit facility to allow us to purchase over time, let's say uh, within you know 24 to 36 months or something like that, to have that vehicle to purchase stuff at a pretty, uh, at a variable but uh, a low rate. And so tailor-made uh, solutions could be, you know, could be crafted for the right uh, story and the right scale. It's also important to understand that banks out there are thinking, how do they reallocate the resources from hospitality and, uh, and retail and probably suburban office uh, onto multifamily, industrial and um, uh, data centers and stuff like that. And so the reallocation is bringing more competitive rates and products into the desired asset classes. Uh, and it's making it harder to get what you want for the uh, less desired um, asset classes. So it's also very important to understand you yeah. always want to be, if you could, uh, with, with the tailwind and enjoy some of that uh, market change to help you, with your, help you with your strategy. I think that was perfectly said. And I, I think just to touch on the, the credit facility specifically and, and the broader of the conversation, and if, if there was one takeaway from the podcast, I would love your listeners to get, and I always try to emphasize this, all conversations I'm having with folks, you know, across uh, the scale of sort of investing uh, universe is, um, you know, uh, something like credit facility is, is what I would call the golden goose, if you will, uh, of the industry, the gold standard, the ability to work yourself up as a company to be able to then be able to utilize a, a vehicle like that is no small feat. Um, and then once to be able to be rewarded, if you will, uh, to be able to to be able to uh, structure such a facility ends up being a massive advantage um, for a borrower to be able to lock in terms, be able to know what your financing is, truly know what your financing is, um, deal after deal, and for that process to be streamlined in in a matter of ten to fourteen days or even less versus the typical forty five plus 
that's not even including going out and getting terms, et cetera. So, so those mm -hmm. types of products, you know, completely change the game for usually a real estate you know, investment company, depending on what the strategy is. But what I want people to take away from calls like, uh, from our conversation today and in general is, and, and especially in, in, in today's environment where they were, we're coming off huge disruption into whatever this exciting and fruitful new market as, as, as the clouds start to clear, is that every, people have to appreciate that real estate is a long game. And especially when it comes to financing, far too often people are jumping in, seeing what maybe they read in the news or seeing what maybe someone told them over coffee, whatever that may be, and they think that they are now in a position to receive financing like that. And why problematically see folks all days of the week come to me with business plans and performas that are factoring in financing um, solutions um, that are really dictating their investment that are not necessarily what they're going to get. And it's not that they won't get that necessarily in the future, but on rare the current circumstances are, they might not necessarily. That's why I would say in a market like this, you know, for example, we're talking about industrial today. Industrial is hot. No one's going to argue that. But depending on where you are, what kind of market you're investing in, what kind of scale of, of investing you're doing, what's your current portfolio look like? What does your capital look like? Um, what What is your general company makeup? Do you self-manage versus third party? Whatever, so many factors. That's going to really dictate ultimately, um, you know, who are your borrowing relationships. These are the things that are going to dictate truly what you're going to end up getting um, and if you're going to qualify for uh, a, a tremendous financing vehicle, like a credit facility, things like that. So what I would always encourage people is you have to look in there, be really honest with where you feel you talk to someone like myself or someone who really understands these things early on in your process of when looking at investments and not just wait for, okay, now you have a deal. You've got to move within the two week period. You got to figure out the best option. You've already told your investors, you've already underwrote to a certain type of uh, financing solution. You're not seeing it. You're getting disappointed. And ultimately you're not, you're not succeeding in the way that you want. And, and the way to avoid that, honestly, is to really appreciate your current position, have that fully firmed, understand there is a gradual growth to things and slowly but surely build those relationships and build your business in a way that will accommodate that. I'll give you just one example to sum up what I was saying here. Just interviewing because of our things we've done in the facility space and something that, you know, Kay is very proud of, done it with a, with a PowerPoint, but, you know, several other companies we've worked with and continue to. So we're constantly being referred or introduced or just come across groups that are also looking to sort of graduate, if you will, to that uh, next tier of following things like the facility. I'm in conversation with, uh, with really a great growing group um, just last week, also seeking something similar. You know, one of their issues and big qualifiers, Adir, and we can do a separate really riveting podcast on the specifics of the facility and things like that. Uh, one of the major qualifiers uh, for getting kind of $50 million plus facilities and starting to work with, you know, those more sexy and attractive products is that you are essentially a singular borrower. And what that means is usually that you're set up as a fund mechanism in which whether you're truly a fund or not, either way your investor base is investing through one singular vehicle for every deal so that you as the quote unquote borrower to the bank is able to lend to the same borrower every deal, regardless if you have a really different investor makeup for each deal. Um, the issue is that most most groups, as they're going through their growth mode, are not necessarily set up that way. So why am I bringing this? This is a perfect example. This is a sophisticated group. They know where they want to go. They want to be from point A to point B. But they also have realistic expectations that things take time to get there. Um, but they also know you have to lay the right foundational work. So they came to me with the hope that they would get approved for something like this up front. But ultimately what happened was is that we were able to discover that they just weren't ready. 
But through that discovery, now they were actually able to change something fundamentally in the way that they were going to grow internally as far as setting up more of a mechanism like this, uh, more like a fun-like mechanism, now knowing that behind that and with success with that, they'll be able to qualify for a facility down the line, which will then improve their overall investment capability, so on and so forth. So uh, these little breadcrumbs along the way that people can pick up and understand completely changes a company's prospect of doing business over a relatively short period of time in the longer scheme of things, whether it be 12, you know, six to 12 months or plus, you know, whatever that may be. So that's something I really like to highlight and like to talk to borrowers all the time about is really understanding their current circumstances and how to grow to where they want to be and the right steps to, to take to do so. Got it. Yeah, I just want to highlight three three last things before you know we um, we wrap it up with, with that regard. So so one is really things you talked about is consi- consistency and execution, and consistency and execution is so important for banks. Uh, they're not your partners in equity. If you're making a lot of money, they're still making the same amount of money. So what they care about is uh, <laughs> you being consistent with what you said you're going to do. Uh, and if something's going to be different, then you should be talking to them and respecting that that thing. The other thing is to be relationship-driven. And and sometimes when you go to the uh, you know the CMBS routes and stuff like that, it's less of a personal communication. But uh, in in any anyhow, whatever lender you're using, you gotta be make you gotta make sure that one point or another you're gonna be meeting those people face to face and creating that relationship because relationship is all what that we have. And we saw that during COVID that banks that uh, really knew us and worked with us were eager to do more business when other firms were not doing anything or froze up and we could really acquire stuff uh, during COVID like mid of 2020. The third and last thing that I just want to mention is uh, live up to your world and live up to that. So important. I remember when we met, uh, you know, a few banks uh, and uh, we had uh, our legacy portfolio for retail and office and COVID hit like many others, our own wounds in terms of you know, tenants not paying rates, uh, rents, uh, bankruptcies, um, and uh, tenants wanting to go from home and sublease their space in the office, so much stuff. And one thing we made sure to our lender partners, hey guys, we know this is non-recourse, but we are going to do everything in our ability to uh, save this loan. And thank God we haven't, uh, we haven't uh, had to uh, go through a, a process of, uh, you know, returning a, an asset to the bank, you know, forever. And we're going to do anything that we can to keep it like that. It's okay to lose money. It's okay to make mistakes. But being transparent about that and doing everything you can to save your partners, not just equity partners, but also banking relationship, that's so important to your reputation. And I, I always say, you know, it's, if we have a vacancy in one of our retail shops, then there's still uh, something in that vacancy. It is our reputation. And that's always there. So we're going to be living up to yeah. our So, Yaya, um, thank you so much for joining us uh, afternoon. And, uh, yeah. Guys, please follow us, you know, Spotify, wherever we have this podcast uh, on LinkedIn. We're going to be coming out with some more great stuff. And, you know, wish everyone to really uh, recover fast uh, from COVID and go back to do some uh, good and exciting business. So thanks, guys, and take care. Take care. Look forward, guys. Talk to you soon.